Welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history or stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. So I have played soccer since I was a kid, and I absolutely love the sport. We had the typical underdog story where we started out, we had, well, okay, so we had played in like a recreational league, and we had done well. We had just killed it. We were owning it. It was great. And then we moved up a level, and we were slaughtered. We lost all the games, all the games, all the time. And yeah, that was discouraging, but it taught me many good lessons about losing gracefully about building character and about yeah you can still have fun even when you lose and that's to me more important is the enjoyment of the sport so that was all very good but we did also work we worked hard we practiced we improved we came together as a team and in the end we got better and better and we ultimately won our league's championship it was awesome it was fantastic i totally slipped on the cement and fell flat on my back in front of everyone when i went up to get the trophy with the rest of the team and that was embarrassing but it was still fun i have so many wonderful memories with soccer and football when i was living in germany i happened to be living there the year that germany won the world cup and that blew my mind it was so fun to hear everyone coming together in their homes or in their communities cheering on their teams it was an amazing time and i felt so lucky to be in germany the year that they won i will not forget it it was an incredible experience. I loved it. There were some insane games. It was also really painfully embarrassing when Germany played the U.S., but that's fine. And I tried to continue to play soccer throughout my life. I love it. I still play it on occasion when I can. Uh, I had an opportunity when I was living in Germany to play some pickup with these tiny little kids, and one of them just elbowed me right in the eye and uh, gave me a black eye. And then the next day, I went to go get my license, my driver's license in Germany, and I had a black eye for that picture. So that was... That was great. Soccer has left me with many memories, basically, at the end of the day. And it's left the world with many memories. It is the most popular sport played in the entire world. So today we're going to talk about it. And this topic was suggested by a friend, a fellow soccer lover. So this goes out to you. This is for you. I'm so glad you suggested it. Thank you. I love it. So let's talk about the history of soccer. It turns out that many countries have claimed to the origins of the sport. Some of the earliest claims date back to 2,000 years ago in China, while Greece, Rome, and parts of Central America also claim to have invented the sport. Regardless, when it came to kicking a ball around, it seemed that humans from around the world have been doing it for thousands of years. FIFA president Joseph Sepp Blatter officially recognized China as the first country to invent a form of football some 2,000 years ago during the Han Dynasty. The game was called Tsutsu. This game was also played in Korea, Japan, and Vietnam. It involved kicking a ball into a net and using your hands was forbidden. Sutsu in China was used in a competitive way in the military to help train and was also played in wealthier cities for entertainment. Sutsu games were even held inside the imperial palace. It was largely kept for the upper classmen. And later in the Tang Dynasty, Sutsu courts could be found in the yards of the wealthy. Women also played Sutsu. There is even a record of a 17-year-old girl beating a team of soldiers in a match. By the Song Dynasty, Sutsu was available to every social class. In Japan, a version of Sutsu called Kamari was also played. It was played in Kyoto during the Asuka period. It was fairly similar to the game of Kipiyapi, or a game played by standing around in a circle and passing the ball to each other while keeping it from touching the ground. Kind of like Kakisak? 
The Greeks and Romans also played a number of different games that involved balls. And some of these games involved using your feet to play with the ball. The Romans also played a game that is similar to rugby. There's a rather unpleasant story told by Cicero about a man being killed by a ball game because a ball was kicked into a barber shop while he was getting a shave. The Greeks played a game called Episkiros that is recognized by FIFA as an early form of soccer or football. I'm sorry, I'm going to go back and forth here. It was played largely by men, but women also played the sport. The Romans later adapted the game and renamed it Harpestum. Indigenous peoples all over the world have also had various forms of ball games. In 1586, there is a record from the English explorer John Davis's explorations of Greenland in which he and his men went ashore and played a ball game with the Inuit peoples there. There are also records of an Inuit game played on ice called Aksaktuk. In Jamestown, Virginia in 1610, William Strachey observed Native Americans playing a game called Pasahemen. Another game called Pasukuakuhoag was also popular among Native Americans in the 17th century. I'm not sure I pronounced that right. If anybody can pronounce it, please let me know. I'd love to know how to say it correctly. In fact, games have been played by the peoples of Mesoamerica for years. One popular game involved a rubber ball, but these games could be described as being more similar to basketball or volleyball rather than, you know, soccer slash football. Those Native Americans in the northeast of the Americas, in particular the Iroquois people, played a game that could be considered similar to modern-day lacrosse. The indigenous peoples of Australia had several ball games, one of which most closely resembling soccer or football was called Marn Grook. The Maori people of New Zealand also played a game called Kiorahi that involved scoring points by touching specific targets. Among the Turkic people of Central Asia, there was also a game called Tepuk, which involved teams attacking each other's castles with a ball made of sheep leather. In medieval Europe, we have records of variations on ball games over the centuries. In 12th century France, there is a record of boys playing a game called La Seule. Another record of a ball game in Britain dates back to the 9th century, while the Middle Ages also has records of the Royal Shrovetide football match being played for years. The Royal Shrovetide football match was played on Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday in Ashburn, Derbyshire, England. The game has been played since at least the 12th century under the rule of Henry II. The earliest records of the ball game were burned by the Royal Shrovetide Committee Office in the 1890s, leaving us to guess at the origins of the game. One theory, however, suggests that the original ball used in the game was the severed heads of those who had been executed. I mean, that's creative, but that's not as unhygienic at the least and like, you know, bit bit gross. Whereas other theories link the origins of Shrotide to La Sole, that game that we mentioned from France. In the earlier forms of football in England, the game was also nicknamed mob football, as it could involve as many players as wanted to play. The games would take place between neighboring towns and often took place on days of festival, like Shrovetide, Christmas, or Easter. Somewhere in between 1174 and 1183, we have our first most definitive record of football in England from William Fitzstephen, who described a group of teenage boys playing the game on Shrove Tuesday, while other men from around gathered to watch them play. Most of the time, the records refer to just a simple ball game that was being played, implying that hands could also be used. So, as of yet, the ball game that would eventually become football was not limited to only using your feet. The games could also get violent, as an early record of a ball game in 1308 in Newcastle, Ireland, records John McCorkin, who was a spectator at the game, accidentally stabbing a player by the name of William Bernard. I don't know how one accidentally stabs a player if one is a spectator. 
1314, the Lord Mayor of London, Nicholas de Farndon, banned football. He cited the reason as being that it created a lot of noise and there were a lot of great evils coming from it. This was the earliest reference to the name of the game of football. And if he's talking about the stabbing of William Bernard, I can see what he means by, like, evils, I guess, but I've no idea if that's what he's referencing, and besides which, we can see that it didn't stay banned, although it was banned many more times on and off in England alone. In fact, between 1314 and 1667, it was banned 30 times. It was banned again later by King Edward II of England in 1363, and then in Scotland by the Football Act in 1424. 1424. But again, obviously, the ban was lifted, or people just continued to play. The earliest record of dribbling the ball came about at the end of the 15th century, depicting a scene of football played in Counton, Nottinghamshire. Slowly over time, the football we recognize today began to take shape, with the first mention of an official football being recorded in 1486, and the first record of football boots, or cleats, being ordered by King Henry VIII of England in 1526, and the first record of women playing football in England was in 1580. In Florence in 1670, there is record of a city celebrating the time between Lent and Epiphany by playing a game called Casio Storico, or Historic Kickball, in the Piazza Santa Croce. The celebration involved the aristocrats dressing up in some fancy silks and then playing a very violent version of football. American football also faced calls for being banned. In the 19th century, the Americans were playing more of a version of mob football, and on college campuses, a version of old division football emerged. These styles leaned more towards rugby, but also started to develop their own style. The call for a ban got to a point that then-President Teddy Roosevelt sat down in a meeting in 1905 to discuss the violent sport, and after the meeting, changes were made to the game to the point that it developed into what we now know as American football. It was the British, however, who made the first recorded list of standardized rules for the game, which has become the game of football enjoyed around the world. These rules included no tripping opponents and rules against touching the ball with your hands. Because of the British rule in its empire and general colonization at the time, these standardized rules spread throughout the world. The beginnings of standardized versions of the sport goes back to the British public schools. In fact, some of the earlier written accounts of football were found written into Latin textbooks. One of the translated texts from William Herman's textbook in 1519 reads, We will play with a ball full of wind. Close quote. English public schools codified the game, one of the first rules of which was in the early 18th century, and was the rule of offsides. The earliest known codes are found in Eton and Aldenham in 1815 and 1825, respectively. Over time, the public schools adopted different approaches to the game, eventually developing into games that were similar to rugby and football. The public school students were middle and upper middle classmen who had free time, whereas the working class at the time, including many children, were working 12-hour days and didn't have time for recreational sports. The rules that we know today of the sport of football came about in the mid-19th century, spurred in many ways by railroad transportation. Now that schools could play other schools in matches, this meant that they had to learn and play by each other's rules. Initially, they would divide the game in half, and so they played each half according to each school's different rules, eventually leading to a more standardized game. And another influencer was the invention of the lawnmower in 1830, which allowed for mowed pitches on which the game could be played. Eton and Harrow schools played the earliest known match on the 9th of December in 1834. In 1845, three boys were made to make official rules for the game of rugby. That was like their assignment. 
After the passing of the 1850 Factory Act, working-class children had more time to join in the sport, which also led to changes in gameplay. The first match between different countries was held in 1870 and was between Scotland and England. When it comes to soccer balls or footballs, these were originally made from various animal bladders, typically pig's bladders. They were inflated with air. Later, leather coverings were used to help the inflated bladder keep its shape while play ensued. Later in 1851, both round and oval-shaped balls were put on display at the Great Exhibition in London. These were made by Richard Linden and William Gilbert. Both men were from Rugby, which was a town, and they were both shoemakers. One story goes that Linden's wife had actually died from inflating pig bladders, it having given her a disease in her lungs. Linden invented a rubber inflatable bladder as well as a brass hand pump. He won medals for his invention. In 1855, Charles Goodyear comes onto the scene. You may remember him from our episode on rubber bands and hair ties. Goodyear had patented the process for vulcanized rubber. He shows up in the world of football at the exhibition Universelle in Paris, where he showcased a spherical soccer ball with panels made from his vulcanized rubber. The ball we use today, with hexagon and pentagon-shaped panels, did not become popular until the 1960s, and was first used in the World Cup in 1970. Now, we can't talk about football without mentioning the World Cup. In 1930, FIFA decided to host its own international cup. This was due in part to Los Angeles' decision to not include football in the 1932 Olympics. The first host country of the World Cup went to Uruguay, who were already two-time world champions. During the first World Cup, 13 nations in total participated. Uruguay played against and beat Argentina to become the first winners of the World Cup. And here's another fun fact for Uruguay. The Uruguay team got its start from actually being a rowing team. And they were the first national team to desegregate their team. Four years later, Italy hosted the World Cup. And from there, the World Cup has traveled from country to country. In 1934, Egypt became the first African country to compete in the World Cup. During this time, due to poor attendance from European teams in the First World Cup, Uruguay refused to attend. Italy was the host country in 1934 and ended up winning the World Cup. From there, the World Cup made its way rather slowly around the world, with some hiccups along the way, including it being completely cancelled during World War II and not picking back up again until 1950 at Brazil. The first World Cup to be hosted in Asia was held in 2002 and was hosted in a joint effort by Japan and South Korea, while the first World Cup hosted in Africa took place in 2010 in South Africa. The 2022 World Cup in Qatar will also be the first tournament not held in the summer. It will take place in the winter. Additionally, in 2026, Canada, Mexico, and the United States will be the first to hold the World Cup across three different countries. So now we know a little bit more about the world's most popular sport. Another benefit of football is the way that it brings people together. Now, it's not always pleasantly brought together. Sometimes there are fights. We already learned about that. Sometimes there's death, which is extreme and not necessary. Sometimes it ends poorly. But the practice of coming together as a world to play a game that we all love or to play a game that has made meaningful memories for people around the world is just a concept that I love. And I'm so grateful for football, for the memories it's given me and people all over the world. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining me, and I hope you have a wonderful day.